newspaper reporters came and sat around and asked him, why did you come back to Japan? You were mistreated in the prison. And, and so he had a chance to tell right away that, you know, why he was there and how God had changed his life. That's the voice of Mrs. Florence D. Shazer, who along with her husband Jacob, a former Doolittle Raider, became missionaries to Japan following World War II. Welcome to First Person, I'm Wayne Shepherd, and you're going to hear a powerful story today as told by both Jacob and Florence D. Shazer. Once you've heard the story, you may want additional information and you'll find links to a new book and more online at firstpersoninterview.com. Following the attack on Pearl Harbor 60 years ago, the U.S. made a daring bombing raid on Japan, led by then-Lieutenant Colonel Jimmy Doolittle. It's one of the great stories of World War II. One of the men on that mission was Jacob DeShazer, who eventually became a missionary to Japan. Jacob died in 2008, but before his death, I spoke with him on a radio program produced by Moody Radio called Open Line. Today on First Person, we're going to hear a portion of that interview from the archives. And then in the second half, we'll talk with Jacob's widow, Florence DeShazer, who tells more about serving as missionaries in Japan. Right now, with thanks to Moody Radio, let's take you back to that interview with Jacob that took place a few years ago before his death. Mr. DeShazer, uh, what was your role in the Doolittle mission? Were you a a pilot or a bombardier? I was a bombardier. Mm Mm-hmm. And the planes did not make it. I mean, they ran out of fuel, and what happened to your plane? Well, they told us on the Hornet aircraft carrier, we uh, had 16 airplanes on that Hornet aircraft carrier, and they told us that morning over the loudspeaker, in 10 more hours would be time for takeoff. And uh, so just as, as they told us that, the clouds lifted, and we saw a Japanese ship out there. Oh and saw the flag, and so uh, the order came right away. Army personnel, man your airplanes, take off immediately. If you can't get your motor started, we'll shove them off in the ocean. And so we had to go on us uh, up on the deck, the flight deck, and uh, Jimmy Doolittle was walking out to his airplane. He was going to be the first one off. Can, can I pause you right there and ask a question? Was it unusual for bombers of this type to fly off an aircraft carrier? It was the uh, first time it's ever been done uh, out on the sea with a rolling um, deck of a uh, flight deck of a Hornet aircraft carrier. For B-25, they were too big for uh, uh, to land on the aircraft carrier. They couldn't come back, but um, we were able to get off the aircraft carrier and uh, drop our bombs on Japan. What was the plan after the bombs were were launched? What were you supposed to do? We were supposed to uh, go to China where there was some free territory in China and some gasoline was stored over there. And we were supposed to pick up uh, some gas and go on to Chongqing where the Free China was, but Japan had all that area around uh, the coast of Japan, of China, I mean, and uh, so uh, we didn't have enough gas. We lost all 16 Hmm. of the B-25s that took off the aircraft carrier. 
what happened to your plane? You obviously parachuted out, right? You know, we were over there, and uh, we had dropped our bombs on Japan and then got to uh, China. And at 10.30 at night, the pilot said, we're out of gas and we'll have to jump. And uh, we uh, we all jumped out, uh, Doolittle and, and uh, all of the crews. Uh, Ted Lawson uh, landed his airplane, uh, and it, it uh, uh, had a wreck that uh, hurt Ted Lawson real bad. He's the one that wrote the story, 30 Seconds Over Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, he he had his leg amputated, and, and they all got around him at a hospital in China, and uh, they got up to where Chung, Chung King was, uh, and uh, the free China. But our airplane... Uh, I don't know just exactly where we were in from Shanghai someplace, and uh, uh, we all got out of the airplane all right, and all all five of us were picked up. There were five men on each airplane. Eighty men took part on that raid, and uh, uh, Ted Lawson and those fellows wrote that book, Thirty Seconds Over Tokyo. But us that were captured, there was. The five from our airplane were captured. Your plane, after dropping its bomb load on Tokyo, uh, crashed, or yes, crashed after you parachuted, I guess, uh, in China. You were taken prisoner. What were those conditions like? Well, um, they they wanted to know uh, what, uh, how we got there and everything, and uh, they seemed to know. Uh, I was... uh, and let's see, the next morning after I was captured, a fellow that called himself a judge said he was the kindest judge in all China, and uh, he was going to ask me some questions. He asked me uh, if uh, I flew off an aircraft carrier called Hornet, and uh, I said, I won't talk. And uh, Doolittle was your commanding officer, he said, I won't talk, and uh, he got it angry at me and pulled his sword off. He said, tomorrow morning when the sun comes up, I'm going to cut off your head. And um, so he told me that he was the kindest judge in all China. I was a very fortunate man to be questioned by the kindest judge in all China. (laughs) So um, that interpreter asked me what I thought of it when he asked, he said he's going to cut my head off. I told him that'd be a great honor to have the kindest judge in all China <laughs> cut my head off. <laughs> but, uh, Were you a Christian at the time, Jacob? No. I had a Bible, but I didn't read it. Uh, my mother always prayed for me and kept the Bible around me. And I even had a Bible on that airplane when I, I left it on that plane and jumped out. Hmm. But, uh, How was it then that, that as a POW there, that you got your hands on a Bible and began to read it? Well, that was uh, quite a while after I was captured. I was in prison for two years before I uh, got a Bible. And uh, 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 what happened was there were eight of us captured, and three were executed, and 
One fellow starved to death. And after he died that way, the emperor of Japan sent a letter out to that prison, and they uh, took us out in the yard, uh, took us out of our cells, and uh, we were out in that yard, and then a fellow began to read uh, the letter from the emperor, and he was uh, he knew English real good, and he'd been ca- he was a prisoner of the Japanese, but they used him to interpret the letter, and the emperor said he was ashamed of the way they'd been treating us, and that uh, they should treat us better, and they gave us little bread to eat with our other uh, poor uh, food and and. Um, uh, they also brought a Bible for each one of us to read. And when I, it was my turn, I started reading that Bible because I was scared when I had to jump out of that airplane. And uh, I didn't know when they were going to execute me there in mm. the prison. And I um, was thinking quite a bit about if a person spent his um, after death life in uh, hell, it'd be a terrible thing. So uh, I was interested in what the Bible says, and I read that Bible clear through and got interested in uh, what the prophets foretold. And Abraham, uh, all, all through the Bible it uh, showed how those prophecies were fulfilled. And... Uh, Moses said that God would raise up a prophet like unto himself. Him we should hear, do all that we say, uh, he said. And so I found out that Jesus was the creator of the world and came down here in the form of a human being and died on that cross to pay the penalty for sin. And uh, then I saw Romans 10:9. And if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him dead, you'll be saved. And just as soon as that uh, meaning came to me, the glory of heaven just seemed to fill that prison cell. Mm. And I knew I was born again <laughs> because uh, God don't lie. God said uh, you'll be saved if you believe those things. And I believed them. In his own words, the late Jacob DeShazer will talk with his widow, Florence, coming up next on First Person. Next time on First Person, the story of a medical doctor who went from the verge of suicide to serving Christ. I have the opportunity to work with the Lord God Almighty. He knows what I'm doing. He knows that he's sending a buffoon. That's okay. All I have to do is show up and listen to what God is doing. Look at things with his eyes. It's the best decision I've ever made. A conversation with Dr. Bruce Steffes next time on First Person. After the war was over, Jacob and Florence were married and went to Japan as missionaries, eventually meeting the pilot who led the raid on Pearl Harbor, and he came to Christ. I talked recently with Mrs. DeShazer. We went by ship, and before we even got off the ship, uh, they started. we heard somebody speaking on the loudspeaker saying, is Jacob DeShazer here? And Jake said, I'm here. And they said, well, go back into the ship. We want to talk to you. And we went into the dining room, and a lot of newspaper reporters came and sat around and asked him 
Why did you come back to Japan? You were mistreated in the prison, and why would you come back here? And, and so he had a chance to tell him right away that, you know, why he was there and how God had changed his life. And he said, uh, you newspapers have... You know a lot of news, but you don't know what happened 2,000 years ago. So he told them about Jesus, and they were writing down. Of course, we, couldn't, we didn't know what they were writing. But for many months after we were there, there would be something in the newspaper uh, about us. And they would even come and visit our home to see what we were doing. <laughs> did you live in Tokyo? No, we did later on, but we went to Osaka. Mm-hmm. That was where our church headquarters were. So, and his story and your ministry there—you you became very well known, didn't you? Yes, he went all over Japan, coal mines and uh, hospitals and jails and many many churches, of course, and street meetings. Uh, I don't think any missionary had a better chance than he did because of his story. You had to see the hand of God in preparing you for that assignment then. It, it was so obvious. Uh-huh. And then, you know, you knew about the track that went out about him, I guess, called I Was a Prisoner of Japan. Tell me about the tract. Uh, Bible Meditation League wrote a track about him. Well, he wrote some of the information, and they made the track. And uh, the chaplains who were over there after the war asked for those tracks, and I guess thousands or maybe more, maybe millions went over there. And it was like a John the Baptist for us because that story had already gone out throughout Japan in churches and all over. A lot of people had that track. And then when they saw Jake, it was, uh, they couldn't believe he was there, I Hmm. guess. So you saw many conversions to Christ because of the story? Yes. And, of course, we don't know how many of them lasted. I know that some did, and I know that some didn't. So. Mm-hmm. But there there was a great interest, and he, he would preach like three or four times a day sometimes. And then there's the story uh, that makes this even more incredible, and that's the story of Mr. Fuchita. Tell us uh, how he came to know Jake. Well, uh, after he found the Lord, through reading Jake's testimony and through reading the Bible, he wanted to meet Jake, and Peter Wagner, who worked for Pocket Testament League, brought him down to our house, and that was in 1950. Uh, Jake had just finished a 40-day fast and asking the Lord to do something special because he was concerned about the conditions in Japan and everything. And So uh, when Mr. Fuchita came to our house, and uh, we... I guess we were told ahead of time that he was coming, but anyhow, right away they they just clicked together. They bowed to each other, and then they shook hands, <laughs> and uh, then they sat on the couch and talked through. They had an interpreter with them, mm-hmm. and uh, Mister Fujita had a he knew a little English, and Jake knew a little Japanese, but uh, they were able to converse better through the interpreter. And they sat there and they opened the Bible. And both of them were showing each other the the scriptures that had helped them to become Christians. And the, one of the main ones was uh, when Jesus was hanging on the cross and said to his, to his enemies, uh, forgive them for they know not what they do. Mm-hmm. And both 
both of them were impressed with that, and forgiveness became the center of their message uh, from that time on. Take me back and tell me about Mr. Fuchida during the war. He was in the Army. Uh, he was a leading pilot airman on the leading raid on Pearl Harbor. If you've ever heard of the movie Tora, 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 mm-hmm. he wrote that movie. And he was very, very proud to be a military leader in his country. And he wrote throughout Japan because of his war experiences. So he was well known before he became an evangelist. Oh, yes. Because of his war record. He was Japan's hero, yes. Huh. He was actually handed Jake's track, Jake's story, at a, at a train station? He was. And that was done by the Pocket Testament League, I believe. And uh, he read it. Then he, was, he read in there that Jake had read the Bible, and that had brought him to understand the Lord. So he got hold of a Bible. Uh, I don't know what it, how he got a hold of the Bible, whether he went to a bookstore. Seems to me somebody was handing out Bibles also. At that time, there was a lot of street work. And uh, so he that then he, he said he didn't have time to read it right away and took it home, and then he started reading it. He was so dis, dissatisfied with his life. And he lived on a little farm, didn't know what to do with himself, and felt defeated after the war, you know. Uh, we read the Bible, and, and, well, he'd had an experience before, and I don't have time to go into all the stories, but there was a young girl whose parents were killed by the Japanese, and she was a, a nurse, and, and he heard how she treated uh, Japanese soldiers so nicely. She said, that's because my, my parents would want, and God would want me to do, And so that impressed him, that forgiveness. And then when he read Jake's story about forgiveness, he said, there must be something to this. And then when he read in the Bible how Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, uh, that was a clincher. That sealed the deal, huh? That that sealed the deal. (laughs) And so the two men became fast friends. They did, and they, well, they had a, right at that time, they arranged, uh, the Pocket Testament League arranged a large meeting in Osaka. They rented the largest hall that was there, and Fujita agreed. He really didn't want to be a public speaker. They got him to promise that he would speak, and so I don't know how many this hall held, but they were packed in. The police had to come in because people were pushing and crowding to get in. Both men gave their testimony. I think Jake gave his first, and then Uchida gave his. And the people just clapped and roared, and I think of 300 or maybe more responded to the altar call. Uchida was so impressed that he could speak, and he says, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. And that sort of launched his career. And so they both became, or he became an evangelist. And uh, he went all over Japan and America. They would oft, often meet and have tent meetings together. So uh, Fujita was in our home several times. I remember one instance when he was having a meeting in Woodburn, Oregon, and we happened to be here, so we went to that service. And uh, they both ministered together there and got to see each other again. Hmm. So the American went to Japan 
to witness for Christ, and the Japanese came to America to witness for Christ. That's right. He was with Sky Pilots for a while, and then I guess he was just on his own more after that. One of God's ironies, huh? Yes. Do you ever get tired of reliving this story? I mean, we all are just astounded when we hear the details of this story. Only God could put a story like this together. Well, I've heard it so many times. I told Jake I could tell it better than he did. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot to tell you that um, Jake went to Captain Fuchida's funeral in Japan, and he said that it was a wonderful occasion. And uh, I think he may the military may put on a funeral later for him, but he had his funeral in the church, and and it was quite a witness to the people. And Jake said he felt so certain that he would see Fujita soon in heaven. I bet they're having a chat right now. <laughs> you think so? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, how long did the two of you, uh, Mrs. DeShazer, how long did you stay in Japan? We, were, we went in 48. We came home in 77. Is that right? So almost 30 years. But, of course, we had several furloughs in between there. Yeah, I understand. One, one was a longer one when my husband went to seminary because he hadn't gone to seminary yet. What was the camaraderie like between those who survived the raid after the war? Did they... they... Very, very close, and still is. Hmm. All through the years, they have reunion every year. And, of course, when we were in Japan, we didn't get to go, but... After we came back to retire, we went almost every year, and my daughter still goes. Huh. And there's only five of the Raiders left out of the 80. Florence DeShazer, the widow of Doolittle Raider turned missionary Jacob DeShazer. Their story continues to speak loudly today of the power of the gospel to penetrate a prison cell and teach what it means to love our enemies. Let's hear one more time from Jacob, who before his death, never shied away from proclaiming the gospel and his love for Christ. Well, Jesus means everything to me. I believe he's the creator, and uh, he is a a great God uh, that can do anything. Nothing's too hard for him. And uh, so it pays for us to pray and trust him and uh, expect his blessing and forgiveness for all of our sins. And if God can reconcile former enemies such as America and Japan, such as Jacob DeShazer and Mitsu Fuchida, he can certainly do anything, can he? That's right. (laughs) Well, this story is not only about the bravery of a soldier during wartime, but also how powerful love and forgiveness is. And just think, it all started with the Japanese prison commandant unexpectedly giving Jacob a Bible. Well, a book was published in 1950 telling this story, but a much more recent book has just been published by authors Donald M. Goldstein and Carol Iko DeShazer Dixon, the daughter of Jacob and Florence. The book is titled Return of the Raider, A Doolittle Raider's Story of War and Forgiveness. We'll place more information about this book and this wonderful story at our program's website, firstpersoninterview.com. Just follow the links you'll find at firstpersoninterview.com. And thanks for listening today to First Person. For additional information about any of our guests or even to listen to past interviews, join us online at firstpersoninterview.com. You'll also find us on iTunes and other sources for the podcast. It all starts at firstpersoninterview.com. Next week, the story of a medical doctor who was desperate in his search to find purpose to his life. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us again for first person.